Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Good morning to you. I hope you've had a great weekend. Um, it's been a busy time, and um, for many of us, perhaps, uh, there's a lot of themes in our lives and uh, the perception of politics, culture, society that are carrying on and plugging you in in some way, or you're watching from a distance and shaking your head in disbelief. Certainly, I'm a bit like that at times. It's quite incredible what is going on, and we seek on this show to focus through uh, the uh, the eyes of uh, the notion about the future, where we're, where we're moving to, how are we best serving ourselves and serving the planet and serving our society in uh, looking consciously and with awareness at, at the way to stimulate and accelerate change on the planet and, and growth, essentially. And there are many themes here, of course, and in, in the world at the moment, currently in this country and around the world, there are many issues, many uh, hot button issues going on, many things flaring up. Look at what's going on in Paris and France, for example. Uh, The whole thing with the Trump administration in America seems like there's going to be a lot of revelations coming out there soon. And of course, in this country, we've just seen uh, our government, including the Labour Party, support the the bill, what's it called? Uh, I think people have been calling it generally the (laughs) anti-encryption bill. Oh, yes. I had a a new name for it, but I didn't want to say that on air. Slightly misnamed because it's not not actually uh, breaking encryption, but it's finding ways to get around it. So before we go into some of those topics, especially the anti-encryption bill... um, Many themes, as I said, they're going on. How how do we look at this from the big picture? How can we sort of take step back for a moment before we go in deep into some of these issues that are currently on the planet? I think one useful way is just to bear in mind that we are in the midst of this transition from the modern paradigm to the to the next paradigm, which uh, we might call relativistic or postmodern. And with every shift like this, there are some fundamental themes in terms of how we think, how we organise ourselves. And how we structure society and organizations yep. uh, and we can look at the specific themes that come with this new paradigm for example uh, the decentralization of power is mm. a theme the uh, network centric ways of living is a theme and that implies connecting all the dots uh, you know connecting everybody that's um, concerned with any particular issue that we might need to address uh, open and transparent communication is another theme and uh, and w- with that comes honesty and integrity, of course. Uh, and mm. what we're seeing is that um, the absence of these things is actually causing issues now. Mm. And and you can look at pretty much any of these uh, mm. big stories that are in the news mm. at the moment and see, okay, uh, there seems to be an imbalance, you know, in each of these situations yeah. where. Um, people aren't talking to each other enough. You know, people aren't connecting the dots enough between all of the relevant issues. Um, there's an absence of honesty and transparency often, um, and this is showing up in our domestic politics and international affairs. And the themes that come with the new paradigm offer us solutions. I mean, this is why there is a paradigm shift underway because yeah. the, the tension created by the old systems not being able to cope with the additional complexity is bringing a new way of doing things, you know, which is really um, resulting from a shift in human consciousness. We've, it's always good to just come back and under, understand that that is the actual trigger for for the change: is a shift in human consciousness, a shift, a shift in how we perceive reality, how we perceive uh, what needs to be done. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just on that point, of course, uh, how many people, I wonder, in the world, in this community in Australia, in the world, generally speaking, of course, it's different in different countries, are aware of, conscious of, uh, related to, believe in the notion that there is a shift in consciousness itself. Uh, For many people, that notion is not a familiar idea. You're right. And and even the idea of evolution, I think, you know, generally, people seem to think, and certainly 
the, you know, the impression I got as a, growing up and through my formal education was that evolution was something that happened a long time ago and it's not really going on at the yeah. moment. You know, we're kind of waiting for, for something new to happen, but nothing much is going on. Um, which is very naive, really. I mean, it's it's you know an ongoing process. It's always happening, even though sometimes we can't see it. Mm. And I think science has been slow to really uh, pick up on evolution in in the present time. You know, yeah. we, we we hear little bits and pieces about it through science occasionally, but uh, and certainly I think part of that, the reason that science hasn't been big on it is that a lot of the evolution that has been going on is. Um, that that we talk about on this show has been psychological evolution, you know, yes. evolution in the in the way that we perceive reality in our, in our underlying frameworks, for which making is sense. arguably not a pure science, no, and, well, and thus right. is disregarded you know, or at least put to the side somewhat. Because well, that's interesting, but it doesn't really apply to you know, the scientific fun. model. No, we don't have very many machines with needles and dials and numbers no. on them that can sort of you know track that kind of thing. So. It doesn't fit with the materialist mindset. It's so interesting, this notion of evolution itself and, and consciousness evolution, because the word consciousness, of course, is a, is a very contested, it's a, it's a favourite word of mine, but it's a word that science has had difficulty with up until recently, yeah, you could argue. It's a very broad term it's too. Very broad you know, I mean, term. People talk about consciousness in many, many different ways, and there are many facets mm. to it, so it's always good to be as specific as possible when you know if we're going to talk about that but this idea that you know human nature is just human nature i think this is the, the play, uh, one of the places where we in our discourses we get stuck in the yeah. notion that things don't evolve yeah. oh we are humans are like that that's how we are we're that's like right that. yeah and you know, this comes from the first tier perspective yeah. where whatever value system we're immersed in seems like the only value system to yes. us. We don't have that visibility of, of the multiple layers of consciousness, which really only comes, I mean, you can you can teach the theory of it to somebody who's who's uh, coming from a sort of first peer mindset. You can teach them the theory and just like you can teach any kind of mm. theory that has multiple aspects to it, but to really get it, uh, you need to be starting to poke into the second tier and starting to get that understanding of the multidimensionality. Which is an experiential thing, isn't it? And, and here as we talk about these tiers, folks, if you don't know what we are referring to here, we're talking to the model of uh, psychological development uh, by Claire W. Graves. And, and, and uh, tiers are spelled T-I-E-R-S. That's right, yes, yeah. although there are plenty, te- plenty of tiers <laughs> that right. uh, need to be cried on this planet at the moment for many, many things. It's a, in one sense a very sad place and also very beautiful. And that, that paradox of being is also part of the equation right now that, that uh, so many people are having wonderful experiences in a, in a world where we have so much, so many of us have so much, and pretty well most people on the planet have more than they used to have, many who don't, but many do, uh, and yet uh, we're not happy. We're not satisfied, most of us. We're confused. We're uh, dislocated somewhere. Somewhat. We are struggling with the, the, the networks of our being, you could argue, and the networks that uh, we now rely on for our, much of our interaction out of social media and the likes, and yet there's, it's all a contested space between... Uh, you know, who am I and who am I within the whole? That's right. And, and w- when we're in transition, we have to navigate this place of not really knowing what our values are. So that adds mm. to the tension of the time is that many people are going through this transition themselves at a personal level and their values are shifting. And in that space, you know, there's a there's like a, a bit of a no man's land in, in between the old values and the new values where you kind of cut yourself adrift from the old values, but you haven't quite got hold of what your new values are yet so it's a, it's a place of inquiry a place of uncertainty and i suppose with a lot of that confusion what happens is projection outwards onto uh, various elements in society that don't seem to be resonating with or reflecting where one is at in themselves what what a person is needing what a person is thinking or feeling about life the universe and everything their own personal lives their situations and uh, seeing you know a, a lack of response of, of genuine you know uh, response with integrity and authenticity, as you said before, from our politicians, from our business leaders. We look at the Banking Royal Commission, obvious example recently, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the the anger and repression that people are feeling is projected outward so often because they don't know where else to place that energy. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. And um, the one of the general themes around this transition beyond the modern paradigm is is one of uh, being tired and exhausted. You know, the, the mindset, the modern scientific industrial mindset mm. uh, is mainly focused on personal success. And the, the concept that sits behind that is that 
personal success is a direct result of the amount of time and effort that you put in. Yeah. Okay. So we, if we're not succeeding, then we're not working long enough. We're not putting the time in, or we're not trying hard enough. Mm. And and consequently, you know, this eventually leads to burnout. When we when we got that mindset, though, I, I, I'm not succeeding. I just need to try harder. Yeah. I've got to spend more time. Mm. And eventually, that leads to the classic burnout, mm. which is which then you know usually often results in a, in a sea change or a tree change where people just want to like cut mm. loose from where they have been, get out of the, the madness, escape the rat race and those kinds of things. And part of it to me brings up this thing I've been saying recently is that we're, we're kind of addicted, I think, to causation, the notion that one thing links to the other. Like you're saying there, if you work harder, you'll make more money, you'll be more successful. If you try harder, there's a direct causal link. But, yeah. of course, that's just one way of seeing it and that really is, I guess, a first-tier way of seeing how things work on the in our reality? Um, certainly. I mean, the, the whole linear thing mm. uh, really emerges with uh, the fourth layer where yeah. we, we get that, as uh, we've spoken about the show before, we get the, the frontal lobe yes. development kicking yep. in, the cause and effect understanding, mm. you know, if I do that, then mm. this happens. Mm. Right? Which has led to a lot of very good science, but it's a it's an incomplete picture. It, it, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, each each one of the value systems, uh, the perspective is, is incomplete, you know, it's, it's all um, part of adding to, to the compiled mm. uh, picture of the world that we have with yeah. each new layer. But um, so the linear thinking from the agricultural fourth layer the authoritarian way of doing things then breaks out into multiplicity in the modern mindset where instead of just having one right way of doing things and being totally linear and black and white, then we have multiple options and we can explore each option and test each option, experiment to find which is the best option for us. So that brings great flexibility and uh, increased capacity to cope with complexity. But we're moving beyond that now because one of the reasons is that we're getting flooded with information from our connectivity, uh, our, our communications technology. So we're no longer able to look at all the options and assess each one. We just don't have the time. Yeah. There are millions of options now. <laughs> Too much information. Yeah. So we, the next step in moving to the, the sixth layer is to uh, form networks, use our networks, consult our peers, uh, so we're actually multiplying our own brain power through the network. Yeah, that's you know, instead, instead of having to overtax our brain to mm. look at all of these options, which there are just too many of now, then we ask all of our peers and say, what do you guys think? You mm. know, and we come up with a group solution. And, and that transition that we're in right now at a global level, and many, many people are going through it personally, offers the solutions for many of the, the great challenges that we're facing in society at the moment. Because I, I guess one of those, because when you talk about this flood of information that we have uh, in our reality, uh, the, the, the add-on here in the last couple of years, not that it's new, it's always been there, is the notion of fake news, that sort of label, the, the reliability of information, the truth of information, the relative truth of information too, that we actually, the, the only way we can really determine that is I guess by dialoguing with our peers and say, what do you think of this? Is this true? How do you feel about that did you where's that come from do you connect with that you know yeah, well, even to make the, sense of all that even the definition of true is changing right <laughs> as i often say oh, who's, I love tr- it. who's truth are we talking about here <laughs> that's right so so the the scientific way of thinking is that we can experiment and test to find the truth mm. Previously, in the fourth layer, which is the authoritarian agricultural way of thinking, the truth came from God. It was given right? to us. It, it came from a higher authority. Yeah. It might not have always been God, but yeah. um, you know, we we didn't have access to that knowledge. We had to consult yeah. a higher authority to get the knowledge. Was, yeah. That was the mindset. Uh, and anybody who thought that they had the knowledge was a heretic, mm. and and sometimes they were burnt. <laughs> as a result, right? Anybody who stood up and said, hey, look, I've been working this out and now I've figured that the, the, uh, Earth, the Earth is not flat, rotates around the sun and, uh, <laughs> yeah. ah, well, that didn't come from God. Burn him, uh, burn him, burn, burn her, her, burn her. And, and More it to happened. The point. That, that actually happened. Yes. And then uh, when we became modern and scientific, then we've, we actually started to believe, no, no we can figure things out. We can yeah. actually do science. Mm. We can find out what's true. Mm. Um, and then that gets tricky and, and shifts again with the transition to the, mm. the sixth layer where all of a sudden we start to realize that, wait, 
it looks true from this angle, but wait, if we go around and stand over there and look back mm. at it the other way, it actually looks different. So mm. the, the truth shifts depending on your perspective. Yeah, because, of course, on the fifth layer, I guess, truth is is uh, an aspect that serves your your particular version of that, that serves your the result that you're trying to achieve. Well, that's right. Yeah. And, and often, you know, usually science comes up with a hypothesis first mm. and then tests it through experimentation to find the truth. Mm. But simply the formation of the hypothesis, of course, has an influence on how you go about testing and doing the science, right? So you're shaping the outcome mm. by forming the hypothesis. Yeah. And as we often know, when you go looking for something, pretty much you usually it. you find it. <laughs> you're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Uh, we're talking a little bit this morning about uh, the change, all the changes that occur on the planet, and that shift from, uh, in Claire W. Graves' model, from uh, level layer five into layer six, into the, from the, the multiplistic to the relativistic uh, uh, expression of human beingness. And we're seeing the, the struggle of that change in uh, showing up in so many different places in the world, in politics and culture and the like. And one of those, of course, is the... Uh, the anti-encryption bill that's just been passed uh, in um, in our federal parliament in the last couple of days at the end of the year sitting season. Yeah, what an interesting thing that is. It brings up so many different issues. And of course, we've got this uh, regressive value search going on as well because we're in the transition phase between two paradigms. So it's it's not just the challenge of moving from the, the modern scientific industrial way of thinking to the relativistic, but it's also mm. the challenge of a lot of our leaders slipping backwards, slipping backwards. into you know rigid linear thinking, or even worse, into just pure power-based mm. uh, behaviours, yeah. which we see a bit. Yes, we certainly do, and it seems with this. I mean, this legislation, folks, and I, I know many of you, especially listening to this station, would be pretty up to speed with uh, this legislation, which requires or does a number of things, but it requires this legislation and smartphone makers and software developers to provide a backdoor into encryption services for Australian police and security agencies. Uh, this is something that, uh, other than probably in countries like China and a couple of others, Russia, you could argue, uh, has never really been done before. Let's not forget the USA. Oh, well, yes. No, 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 the USA is pure and perfect, and they don't do things like that at all. They've been, they are the guardians of democracy across the planet. And what was that guy's name? Snowden, right? Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot that's, about him. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, really interesting. I mean... <laughs> Where do we start? There are so many different issues that we can yeah. un unpack around this. One of them is just the fact that this was a publicly tabled and discussed bill, I, th I find very, very interesting. I mean, historically, uh, these sorts of decisions around uh, intelligence gathering, uh, you know, have been made behind closed doors and not discussed publicly. So I think it's, it's very interesting just the fact that they've decided to put this on the table and discuss it in, in Parliament. Well, it seems pretty obvious to me it's all about politics. There's an election coming up next year, and, and the coalition in particular likes to be seen to be tough on terrorism, tough on on crime and the like, and, and uh, the Labor Party who sort of surrendered and went along with this legislation at the last minute on, I think, Thursday last week have gone along with the same thing. I, I, I suspect fearing a backlash in a significant portion of the community looking at Labor as being soft on, on these sort of anti, supposedly anti-terrorism uh, legislations. Yeah, it'd be interesting to to just you know really find out why it mm. was pushed into public discussion. I mean, from from the point of view of the intelligence agencies, really the worst thing for them is to have it out in the open. You know, their their strategy, their their uh, operating methods. They don't really want to advertise those. And by putting this out and saying, well, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to build back doors into these apps. Um, you really it lets the cat out of the bag mm. from an intelligence point of view. And, you know, all the tech people, experts that I've heard speak on this, among many other considerations, one of the obvious considerations is, is if there is a backdoor in various uh, applications, like WhatsApp, for example, is one of the ones that they're, they're targeting as supposedly a, a platform that uh, terrorists and uh, child pornographers and the like uh, use, and I'm sure that's, that's true. Um, but uh, that if there is a backdoor, that that backdoor then can be uh, used and accessed and manipulated by the very forces that uh, they're trying to keep an eye on. That's right, and, and that's happened in, in recent mm. times. You know, there have been a number of leaks of uh, tools used by the NSA, for example, which have then escaped into the, the general 
hack a population and been used against mm. uh, the, the very people who, yes. who designed them, most likely. Yeah, um, yeah it's lots of inconsistencies uh, around the whole uh, thing. Um, another, I, I guess, you know, in terms of um, the impact of this bill, which I understand, basically they've, they've rubber-stamped it, but said that they need to do some refining before it is put into practice. I mean, that in itself means that they they haven't really fulfilled this uh, Christmas wish that the government had to have it in place before Christmas, you know. Yeah. Um, and and the public comment that was at least what what I saw in the media uh, was a comment by uh, Duncan Lewis, who heads up ASIO, uh, who came out and said, "Well, if this was available to us, we'd use it immediately." Yeah. Uh, um, but I just noticed that the tone of his comment really didn't match the tone of, for example, the Prime Minister who was saying, this is urgent, we're all in danger, you know, our Christmas trees are going to get uh, blown up by terrorists unless we have this in place before Christmas. Mm. Um, there seemed to be a mismatch there, uh, which kind of points to the fact that this really was a political stunt by Morrison yeah. to try and, I don't know whether it was to distract people from the internal issues that he's having in his own party. Oh, or, no doubt. You know. Well, as, as far as I can see, whenever the, whenever the issues of terrorism or crime are, are raised in a sort of shrill voice in, in any way whatsoever by any side of politics anywhere, it's to do with uh, failing poll numbers, essentially. I think that's probably a pretty direct uh, causative uh, relationship there yeah I think I think so and um, and this speaks to these general themes that we started the show yes with, you know of, of looking at uh, the the need for transparency I mean transparency is here whether we like it or not and that's come because of our communications technology mm. you know it's very very hard to keep a secret now mm. go back 20 30 years and uh, this whole idea of corporate image was well accepted and and in practice you know organizations were able to hire professionals mm. to manage their public image quite successfully yes well corporations and, were actually respected whether they deserved uh, deserved it or not but yes. they were generally respected and uh, no matter what was going on behind the scenes you know usually the general public didn't get to see what was happening behind the scenes mm. but now because of the fact that everybody has access to social media and it's so easy to to um, you know broadcast to the world that that idea of being able to manage a public image, and have it separate to the reality of what's going on inside is just basically broken down completely. Mm. And so we now need to have a balanced, um, a balance between internal dynamics and external dynamics. You know, what we're showing to the world uh, with our sort of chosen public face needs to actually match what's going on inside the organisation and inside ourselves. Oh, and that's the key, isn't it, really? Because our institutions, our governments, our companies that represent us, that produce and provide for us, are all, in one sense, externalisations of our own inner battle, yeah. the inner process that we're going through. Yeah, and consequently, this is why our politicians are looking uh, so, uh, what's the word? Um. <laughs> Frazzled, fraught, uh, effed up. Uh, I don't know. Dishonest. They're, they're not uh, very impressive. You know, lacking uh. lacking uh, integrity and substance uh, is because we can see what's going on inside their political mm. parties, for example. I mean, mm. look at all the issues that the, the Libs are having inside their organisation. And, uh, you know, they're, they're ripping themselves apart, mm. really. And... Um, Scott Morrison's trying to stand up in public and look like everything's okay, you know, where this, this this place isn't on fire, it's all fine, uh, and uh, we're being tough and we're, we've got this, you know, we've got everything in hand, when in fact they haven't. There's a wonderful, uh, there's a new Russell Brand uh, uh, video out on Netflix called uh, Rebirth, I think. It's uh, very, very clever. It's very good. And there's a point in there where he talks about politics and he talks about when a new, uh, you know, a new administration is voted in somewhere and he's talking about Britain, Britain replies everywhere and a new prime minister or the prime minister who's re-won the election comes out and says, we're going to look after all of you. We're going to keep our borders safe. We're going to do this and do that. You know, all the stuff that they they purport to, say. To, yep. to, to say. And Russell Brand goes into saying, you know, we all know it's bullshit. Everybody knows that now. 
But we just sort of go, oh, okay. like if we really believed it, we'd go, oh, isn't that great? He said we can all be looked after. Oh, fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, We're going to yeah. have tax relief and, yeah. oh, my God, our borders are safe. And then he said, wouldn't it be great if one leader just came out after winning the election and said, we're going to continue as we normally been. We're going to be kowtowing to big business. We're going to be taking donations here and there. We're going to be manipulating, uh, um, you know, what we do in order to satisfy our own, you know, um, uh, salaries uh, to justify our positions and uh, our belief systems, our religion. Da, 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 da. Wouldn't it be refreshing if at least they just come out from Number Ten Downing Street or from Parliament House in Canberra and just said, "We're full of shit." Yes. And uh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, really, refreshing. It, it would be even better if. They came out and said, this is the way things have been, and we know that it's not right, and we're going to fix it. You know? That would be ideal. We're, we're, we're not going to see that anytime soon, but you never know. I, you know, yeah. it's, it, we, are, we are going to see it. I we mean, are going to see it. This yeah. is the way things are headed. That's right. We do like to be positive in the so show, I, folks. We're not actually uh, – we, we, we would like to uh, inform you that we're here to give you, hopefully, some useful information, interesting discourse and dialogue about uh, – about how we're going on this planet, not to scare you, to frighten you, to make you feel like everything's screwed up, but actually say, here are the issues and things are changing for the better. You may not be able to see them right now. They may look completely confusing, paradoxical, but actually we are moving forward. We are moving into a new world, really, ultimately. That's our, I don't know about belief, but I think it's a... (laughs) <laughs> I like to say, have your beliefs, but don't that's, believe that's in That's our public image that we're projecting. That's a public image. <laughs> th- thanks for your text. First text in the point, more, this morning from Sandy. She said, uh, uh, it's uh, it's an oxymoron intelligence gathering. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on that note, yes, you know, on that note. W- one of the hilarious things is that <laughs> so obviously many of our politicians have got no idea about the technology. They just do not understand what they're even talking about. You know, I think the funniest thing in recent time was when the Attorney General came out and started talking about metadata and it became very, very obvious that he didn't even didn't know, know what, what metadata was. was. <laughs> it was just, it was just reading from some script. And and, uh, and I guarantee that most of the politicians in Parliament probably had no idea about the technology behind what they're discussing. Hmm. Um, you know, it comes down to... Uh, it really just comes down to a shouting match often. I don't know if you ever tune in you know, oh, yes. the, uh, the ABC Broadcaster Parliament. Oh, I mean, yes. God, I, I, can, I can never really listen to it. Oh, long, no, 30 seconds is enough. But it's, it's, you know, I mean, you could go and stick your head in a mm. kindergarten classroom and you'll hear something very, very similar, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and also in Australian, uh, politicians have a, have a wonderful habit of leaving the chamber on important sort of social and moral yes. issues uh, and staying in the chamber for things like um, we're now discussing... Uh, Pay rises for MPs. They're all in the chamber for that. What a surprise. Yeah. What, a, what a surprise. Yeah. A joke. So, so where, you know, the the, uh, the dynamic of uh, power plays competition rather than mm. collaboration uh, yes. is, is very much old paradigm yeah. Yeah. and still very much present in our political system. And uh, we, we would be wise to actually take notice of the breakdown of its capacity to cope at the present time to pay attention to that and to start to think as a society about how we shift towards these new paradigm themes you know how do we how do we move to a a motivation of seeking harmony and balance rather than seeking power over uh, within our politics for example mm. i mean that uh, the letting go of the notion of competition is a really big one isn't it because big, it yeah. appears Clearly, in our societies now, that uh, you know, it, you win, you win a competition of one sort or the other, small or very large business, or just in the playground, and you are the winner. And it comes with certain benefits and kudos and uh, friendship, perhaps all sorts of benefits that appear to accrue from being competitive and winning. Of course, being competitive and losing, well, you don't get that stuff. So that's uh, there's no, and it's and it's driven by our values. So whatever right. you know, whatever our core values are, wherever they sit on that spectrum of consciousness is going to shape our behaviour. So uh, we've designed a political system which uh, operates very much around this competition, and usually between just two major parties, mm. where, um, and in the past, in a less complex society, that worked quite well. You know, whether you could have, yes. where you could have a couple of people debating and arguing about what's best, right, which is the best option mm. here, mm. Uh, and whoever won or put forward the, the best argument, you yeah. know, would, would usually get their way. And um, that's fine when you've only got a couple of choices, but when you've got so many choices that you can't count them all, it breaks down and doesn't work. And it's also fine, I guess, in a, uh, a pre-social media world, a, pre- a world, a pre-internet uh, world, where those uh, discussions on a, on a high level, on a level, maybe occurring and the result 
happens and then a certain number of people within a, a radius physical uh, geophysical radius know about that it sort of, sort of leaks out and eventually people discuss that and perhaps things change but now a decision is made in a competitive way someone wins someone has a point of view they decide something other out it goes bang into everywhere and immediately a flood of responses positive negative everything right. in between come in yep. so it becomes much more complex much quicker yes mm. yeah and and often uh, you know arguments that are put forward in the hope of, of winning a debate uh, very very quickly cut down by somebody who knows you know what's actually going on and yeah. then they'll tweet that and it'll go viral yeah. and and uh, the the argument is suddenly hollow mm. yeah just just like this argument that they put forward that uh, they really need to get this legislation mm. through before Christmas oh. because of the terrible terrible security threat at the Dang, same time as uh, the the border force uh, budget yes. is being yes. cut. Yeah. And uh, I think I we looked at. I don't even know I, how they can. I, I tried to search for that before. I couldn't actually find a direct um, piece about the border. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a piece here from. Uh, I think they're managing the, what's going out a little bit about this. Uh, to me, oh, I'm I mean, sure it's, it's been picked up, but, it, but trying to trying to <laughs> trying to manage it. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that they push through this legislation, dubious at the best. Uh, it's its nature, uh, its application, uh, what's going to happen from this legislation itself, and meanwhile. The very people who supposedly protect our borders and do other stuff like that, um, the budget's been cut massively, and the whole bunch of jobs are going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, quite clearly, there, there's a lack of integrity. Please explain, as this, somebody this, famous once said. This argument doesn't have. Uh, it, it's, it's not uh, one based on integrity. Obviously, I did found a. I found an article in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, from uh, the seventh. What was that Friday? I guess. Uh, saying that uh, Australian Border Force is quietly slashing staff numbers at airports over the busy Christmas period and is believed to have suspended a fleet of boats supposed to protect the nation's northern waters in cost-cutting moves that insiders say threaten national security at the very same time that the Prime Minister is standing up in Parliament and saying, unless we get this bill through, we're yes. not going to be safe at Christmas time. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm afraid it just doesn't stack up. And, you know, Labor really has uh, succumbed, as we said earlier, to this without securing amendments and setting aside reservations. I'm not sure how that actually works with the legislation that's actually got through and become law, but somehow or other they've, got to, they've managed to keep some reservations they can revisit and make some amendments to this legislation next year. I'm not sure how that actually works. But interestingly, uh, on Friday, Shadow Digital Economy Minister Ed Husak called the bill's judicial oversight tissue tough. That's not very tough. No. Saying, quote, there will be people who wonder why we did what we did. Vote with the government. Yeah, duh. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And again, you know, you've got to ask yourself, why did Labor roll over on that? Mm. And uh, quite likely it was a politically motivated move, you know, designed mm. to, uh, you know, in, in the, I guess, the uh, assumption that it would shore up support for them, yeah. you know, as uh, being seen to cooperate on an, an issue of security, yeah. supposed issue. Well, they're leading 55 to 45 in the latest uh, poll in the Australian uh, over the coalition of the Labor Party, so obviously set at this time anyway. And uh, as they say, a week in politics is a very long time, but at this point in time, you would think that the coalition is definitely on the way out. But the question will be, does the Labor Party offer anything substantially more progressive than the Liberals? And I, I think they probably do, but how much is questionable? Yeah, and it, you know, moving, I mean, this is still, it's the same old, same old, right? Yep, it's it's okay, let's swap this one for that one, and, yep. and then that Part one will work up so we'll swap it back again. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. We've been talking particularly about the anti-encryption bill that has just passed with the support of Labor. And we've been talking about, uh, in a sense, the sort of dying of that old layer of consciousness, which is still very dominant on the planet. And it, it occurs to me and it occurs to us um, that that old thinking that used to solve, did solve many of the problems that came from previous iterations of our consciousness, of our evolution, if you will, on this planet, is now um, actually creating more problems than it solves. And I guess this is how it actually pans out when a, a mode of, of a being starts to pass away but still clings to its old ways. It is, and this anti-encryption bill is a particularly good example. That's why we're kind of milking it on the show today because there are so many different facets to it that it just beautifully represent the challenges of a paradigm shift and the challenges of changing our thinking and changing the ways that we solve our problems. Mm. Yeah. And uh, as you were saying, one one of the aspects of a paradigm shift is that uh, the old way of thinking, which was really, really useful when it first emerged because it solved our previous problems, 
and uh, allowed us, in the case of this modern scientific industrial paradigm, it, it allowed us to be quite successful at many, many different things, including designing amazing technology, yeah. which has connected us all together and yeah. made the world more complex yeah. and taken us to the point where the old way of thinking that produced that stuff doesn't work yeah. anymore because we're, we're too connected. Mm. Um, and so, uh, as we were just discussing in the break, how these useful ways that, are, that emerge when a new paradigm uh, arrives they, they evolve, they change, and their, their uh, effectiveness shifts during the time of the paradigm. And as the paradigm itself creates more complexity, then eventually it'll get to the point where it kind of uh, supersedes itself or hmm. I guess make, makes its uh, own process redundant. Yeah, you know, makes its own uh, process redundant. I think yeah. that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And of course, if you feel, if you're if you're in power, if you think you've got the solutions, if you've had the solutions before and you start to realise that you're becoming redundant, well, the thing you do is to hang on tightly to, <laughs> to, <laughs> try, to the old way. Well, this, the, the, <laughs> the funniest thing is that what happens is that you try harder, you, you keep using the same uh, process Processes, right? Yeah. The same problem solving processes, the same thinking, but you try harder and harder and harder to solve these problems, which are getting harder to solve, of course. They clearly haven't read Einstein. And uh, what eventually starts to happen is that your own process of thinking about the problem and attempting to solve it actually creates more problems instead yeah. of mm. fixing the problems, yeah, which indeed. is just hilarious. Mm. And this is uh, exactly what's happened with this anti encryption bill. I mean, the, the implications, the impact of this legislation is widespread um, you know apart from uh, apart from the political issues and one of the challenges that we face at the moment is be because our politi political parties are struggling because they're based around old thinking and old structures mm. old ways of doing things they are having more and more trouble internally uh, you know trying to resolve their own issues and as that happens then they're focusing more of their attention on fixing their own internal issues and no one's actually driving the bus and there are so many strategic implications to this new legislation that they've just passed in, in Parliament. Uh, it's going to create uh, a, a world of hurt, basically, for the government. You know, it has implications for uh, huge implications for the IT industry in Australia. Yes, well, that's uh, that's, and it's been it's been spoken. You would have already read in the mainstream press or Radio National, for example. I've certainly heard uh, pieces on. Uh, those uh, international IT companies like uh, Amazon, Apple, Atlassian, which is Australian, Microsoft and many others may well leave Australia for this and that would be a, a first, that's for sure. But it's not just that, is it? It's all about um, other things too well, that could all be sorts impacted. Of things. I mean, uh Look at what look at what is happening with uh, the Chinese firm Huawei at the moment. Mm. I mean, they've um, been accused of, um, I, I guess, being forced by the Chinese government to build in yeah. surveillance if capacities. A, you know, probably back, already there. Back doors yes. in their hardware, which mm. is uh, causing them issues. I mean, in Australia, the, the, and this is another hilarious part of this whole anti-encryption bill is that we just decided not to allow. Huawei to compete for you know introducing new communications technology here in Australia, and then we've we, within a week or so we've gone out and we've basically passed legislation which puts to do the same our thing own, for other companies exactly mm. you know we basically I mean we criticised the the Chinese Communist Party for uh, manipulating you know companies from China and making them do their spying for them, and here we are saying publicly that oh yes we're going to do that <laughs> yeah but but the Chinese are wrong they're the baddies oh, yes, that's right yeah, so it's justified. That that we can do this sort of thing in order to, you know... Of course, uh, of course. Ours is, ours is about ours security, is the right? Way. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I was listening just recently on the radio to somebody who made a fairly extensive study, in other words, actually read the full uh, bill which was passed through Parliament, and uh, some of the detail in there is very, very scary. Uh, I mean... They're talking about using this backdoor capacity not just for issues of national security, but for basically small, small crime, small petty crime, crimes, small yeah. crime. I think the um, Labor Party managed to get something to do to the effect of uh, crimes of uh, um, more than three years jail time. Uh, that, that that was uh, under the auspices of this legislation. Yeah. But I think originally they, they tried to pass it for basically anything, but I'm not well, sure. They, the details are very complex. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, I, I, I just forget the exact detail too, yeah. but, it, but it was um, it was basically... So the example that was given in the, the radio show I was listening to was that uh, the guy down the street who's like... Um, 
downloading torrent, torrents, you know, of uh, movies and that kind of thing illegally, uh, would be liable to to be the target of this kind of surveillance. Because that person is dangerous to to uh, national security. Clearly, yeah. And yeah. if we look at the you know the recent report, which I think we mentioned on the show last week, of the huge number of requests, I think it topped three hundred and fifty thousand requests that had been made by different government agencies to access people's data, mm. um, you know, for for administrative issues, really. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's, it's way, way out of control. And, uh, and this legislation is just going to make it worse. But, you know, it goes beyond this. I mean, issues, for example, of foreign policy. I mean, we've got uh, all sorts of international organisations now that are coming out now and criticising our government mm. for, for what they've done. Foreign investment, therefore. Into, yeah, in, in, you know, in Australia. Who, which which uh, foreign investor is going to put money into an Australian IT company now? No one's going to do it. Mm. It's going to have a massive impact on the industry. And uh, even like domestic business here will be going overseas. I mean, anybody in Australia who's you know going to put together a web platform or something like that would be crazy to go ahead and build it here in Australia because the legislation says that the government can force a company to put a back door in something and then it'll be illegal for anybody to mention the fact that that had happened so you just wouldn't know yeah. um, you know and, and therefore it's it's uh, undermining confidence in government if that uh, you know if that needed doing I think it's already I think, uh, pretty well undermined but so it's it's basically a massive strategic error and uh, it's it's a big signpost that our government uh, is really just mainly focused on playing party politics and power issues and trying to resolve their own, you know, shore up their own internal situation mm -hmm. as well and not thinking about the strategy, not thinking about how does this impact Australians, how does this actually serve Australians, um, remembering mm -hmm. that that's what the government is there to do is to actually serve our society. Uh, and it, it raises that huge issue is, you know, at what point, particularly in around issues of uh, public privacy and public safety, you know, at what point does the government actually stop doing what's best for Australia and start serving its own issues? You know, where do you draw that line? Mm, yeah. it's, it's a big deal. And it's, you know, Australia would be very wise to actually sit up and take notice right now because this is the early uh, part of a, a trend that's only going to grow as we progress through this paradigm shift because our old ways of organising ourselves, our old ways of thinking about problems and our old ways of trying to solve challenges mm. are actually creating more problems than they solve mm. at this point in time. Yeah. And that's going to get worse. Yes. And uh, you know, I, I'd hate to think that we uh, would start to experience the kind of issues, for example, that are showing up to France at the moment with... Uh, you know, yeah, I was just going to mention France as well. That sort of that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's you know, those sorts of things are in inevitable if this issue isn't jumped on mm. early. So, so yeah, it's a big deal. Just jumping to France, it's interesting that the the latest series of protests over the weekend um, after the the first the few days before that, uh, I guess on Saturday in uh, in France in Paris, saw uh, curiously not that many people. I think the number I heard was about eight thousand people in the streets, and yet most of the major tourist destinations, the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre were closed down for the day. Uh, the disruption was, was severe, and the, the, the um, characteristic of the protest was different in that instead of uh, a lot of farmers coming in uh, protesting the fuel tax and other issues, living standard issues in France, this compacting of, of uh, people's ability to actually make choices purely because their life conditions have um, been uh, diminished or certainly haven't grown significantly for a time. Yeah. But as well as, uh, instead of those sort of people coming back into Paris, apparently the second round of protests saw a whole bunch of uh, extreme left and extreme right protesters join the same sort of battle. And that's a curious uh, curious characteristic, isn't it, of this? That, um, you it, know. Is, it is curious, mm. but um, we know from, from Claire Graves' work that once you create a set of life conditions that is conducive to this emerging paradigm, in other words, once you uh, provide uh, a greater degree of visibility of what's going on, a greater capacity for people to hear about uh, what's going on and express their own opinions, mm. uh, then that um, f additional freedom of, of information and freedom of action creates 
a set of life conditions that is ripe for uh, some of these uh, earlier layers of consciousness to get out and express themselves in ways that they haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's if, if we look at organizations and societies which are a bit ahead of the pack at the moment and have organized themselves around the new emerging paradigm where there's really more freedom to do things and also more acceptance of diverse uh, opinions. Mm. Um, it, it also creates a, an environment where people have, who have more radical opinions and who might be likely to take violent action, for example, uh, are more able to express themselves. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's one of the, I guess, the um, issues around the emerging paradigm that we need to be aware of also. Do you see that as a, I mean, it would, it would seem to me that that's therefore a passing phase, but it's not a very comfortable passing phase, that notion that suddenly that freedom of life conditions for people to actually think about, understand, know, connect with, uh, make the connections, sort through the news, the fake news, and have a response to it, a response that they may not have been able to make in their lives before. Yeah. Suddenly they're doing that. That's yeah. in one sense a very good thing. But uh, as you're saying, it also makes a very uh, unstable, more unstable uh, world. That's exactly right. And I mean, we, we see this here, you know, in our region, uh, Byron Bay being a little bit ahead of the pack in terms of thinking, you know, according to the new paradigm values, mm. is that we, we tolerate diverse opinions. Mm. And uh, sometimes we see reactions to those opinions that are mm. surprisingly strong, vehement. Right? Yes, yeah. and but but you know if once you create a society with social structures and accessibility, you know that it, that is more open and more free, then you've got to expect that. Mm. You've got to expect to to get those edgy things showing up, and sometimes those edgy things can even be threatening. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know that's uh, that's an important aspect of the new paradigm that that we would well. Um, you know, do well to pay attention mm. to, because there are that many disgruntled people on the planet for one reason or the other. I think that's that's to well, me are, what's going on. There are, and this is also why this new paradigm is going to be short-lived, mm. because it's going to resolve a lot of the issues that have been created by the previous modern scientific industrial paradigm. However, it's also adding to the complexity, and uh, it, it it's not going to be sustainable. Not not yeah. you, know, you know, if we look at the the time frames of this all of the layers of consciousness and how long they've taken to play out and then be transcended in, uh, through history, mm. we can see that the, the time frames get shorter and shorter and shorter yeah. and shorter. Mm. Yeah. You know, from the, from the original kind of hunter-gatherer basic survival mindset, which, you know... Thousands and thousands of years. 150,000 years yeah. or something like that, uh, 200,000 years maybe, and now the scientific industrial paradigm has, has been dominant for about 300 years and it's failing. And so uh, if we look at that pattern, then we can reasonably assume that the emerging relativistic paradigm will probably only be dominant or highly influential for a couple of decades yeah. before it needs to be superseded because of the additional complexity of the, and the uh, complex issues that are going to arise out of that way of being human, yeah. that way of living. And this um, this is like the, the uh, cherry on top of the cake that gives rise to the big leap in consciousness. You know. Hallelujah! It's the it's the the last little sort of twist of the corkscrew that makes the cork pop. So uh, be patient, but don't sit around and do nothing either. <laughs> there are things to do to take to take note of. There are things to educate yourself about. There are things uh, to use your unique and particular gift and ability in this lifetime to contribute to global transformation. So um, don't be overwhelmed when I'm telling you what to do. Don't do anything that I tell you to do, but you know, seek to uh, seek to make sense of it. I'm trying to. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. We've been talking a lot about the anti-encryption bill that's just passed and some of the <clears throat> the major issues that uh, that are there, and looking at uh, that as. Uh, and the issues around it is uh, a good example of, uh, of the issues, problems, challenges that we face as we move from one uh, expression of evolution, so to speak, to another slowly but surely but faster than we think. Um, other issues are, are big and just want to mention too, we've talked quite a lot about um, uh, the use of substances on this show, both for medicinal reasons and also the response of governments to, uh, to the uh, 
uh, quote-unquote illegal drug-taking at particular dance parties, and you'd be aware, aware that uh, a, a young man of 19 died on Sunday and three others uh, also, I think, uh, in um, critical condition after what's called the knockout games of Destiny Dance Party at Sydney Olympic Park on Saturday night. Um, but the question of pill testing is the big one on the table, and again, New South Wales government is um, not considering pill testing. seems uh, unconscionable to me. It's really sad, actually, to see the uh, New South Wales Premier um, responding in this way once again. Mm. And uh, if we analyse her her logic or decision-making process, it, it looks to me that she uh, has a, a very fixed mindset around this. You know, it's it's not even really a modern scientific industrial way of thinking that she's displaying. It's, it's prior to that mm. where she's... Uh, taking quite a righteous stance and just saying that uh, drugs are bad, this isn't right, therefore we're not going to look at any options, um, which is a very rigid kind of linear mindset and and also to uh, some extent closed you know, to, to options. I mean, uh, I guess that, that layer four authoritarian rigid way of thinking is generally not looking for options anyway no. because it's convinced that it knows what is right. And so it uh, it generally doesn't look for evidence. It doesn't you know make considered uh, decisions. It just simply follows what it believes to be right. And uh, it's a terrible, terrible shame to see um, somebody in a position of being premier of New South Wales displaying this kind of very, very old and ineffective thinking at the expense of uh, young lives. Mm. I mean, she claims that pill testing is faulty because it doesn't uh, take into account people's different physical attributes. Yeah, and it, it, it's I mean that. Raises is an amazing, you know, very interesting question. Is, mm. is is she getting advice on that? I mean, is this just something that she's made up her own mind about, or is she getting advice on that? And if she is getting advice, then her advisors uh, ought to be changed because there's plenty of evidence from overseas experience that pill testing creates a uh, safer play space. You know, it reduces harm. There's no doubt about that yeah. whatsoever. And and she's contradicting what we know to be. Um, proven experience overseas. Yes, indeed. <clears throat> I mean, uh, you know, one of her justifications is that she doesn't want to normalise uh, drug taking, illegal drug taking. <laughs> it's interesting, is that normalise illegal drug taking? What about the uh, normalising uh, drug taking that is legal? That's yeah. another question. I, I mean, the issue is that that illegal drug taking is normal. At, you know, well, that's what, that's what I was getting to precisely. That I mean, yeah, at this yeah. particular festival, uh, they charged several people, but they found uh, with 62 people, 200 searches, they found 62 people with with drugs anyway. So that's you know over nearly a third of the people who yeah. they searched had drugs. Yeah. So it is normal, and we're not condoning that, of course, here on this show. But you know, let's actually face the facts that people do and will take these drugs and how can we make it safer for them to do so if they're going to do it anyway yeah and we know how we can make it safer we can make it safer through pill testing yeah. and there are people in australia who have the expertise to do that you know there the money is there to do the pill testing if uh, it's permitted and yet uh, rigid mindsets like the, the premiers unfortunately are preventing it mm. from happening at the expense of uh, young lives and ultimately decriminalization uh, would be probably a safer option overall i mean it's a delicate topic it certainly is no question about that we shouldn't say it should be one way or the other but the reality is that the business of drugs is a big business if it is an illegal business then there's more money more danger more criminal activity involved in the, the, the dispensation the production and dispensation of drugs at these festivals and you do not know what is in these things and you cannot know so it just seems to make it be very common sense that at least pill testing is a step in the right direction to deal with the issue yeah mm. Lots of stuff going on. Now, coming back to Australia, uh, you brought my attention to the uh, the interesting irony. We were talking about terrorism before. And, of course, uh, Peter Dutton, the Home Affairs Minister, uh, the infamous Peter Dutton, um, has uh, been so tough on asylum seekers from his since he's been in this government. And, or has he? Or has he? Because that's the question here is it's been brought to our attention that um, there's actually been more protection visa application, applications uh, under Peter Dutton's watch than at any other time. It's a record. Mm, 27,931 protection visa applications were made in the last or the latest financial mm. year. And this is by plane arrival. So this is supposedly in terms of this government, you know, a more legal way to enter the country than by boats. Certainly a safer way, you could, that's for sure, you could argue. Uh, but ne nevertheless, there are people who arrive here under a tourism visa or perhaps without papers and taking their, taking their chances. But there's been more than any other time. So you've got to, you've got to wonder about that. 
Yeah, and I mean, again, this kind of thing is predictable. Uh, anyone who knows that game, whack-a-mole, would, would know that. Um, you know, as soon as you plug one of the holes, then uh, it kind of pops up <laughs> through one, through another hole. And, and so, uh, you know, they've come down very, very hard on boat arrivals. And while they've been so fixated on looking at the boat arrivals, they've all been coming by plane. Yeah. A former Immigration Department uh, Deputy Secretary Abul Rizvi predicts that this uh, latest record will be broken in this current financial year, blaming the surge on the chaos, quote, in Mr. Dutton's Home Affairs Department, most of the new wage of protection visa, new wave, I must read it's a misspell there, I'm reading wrong, but it's actually spelled wrong. Most of the new wave of protection visa applicants are arriving on visitor visas, yeah, that's right, and then lodging appeals as asylum seekers. So they're not being put off uh, trying to get to Australia, and no. uh, Australia having, after all, been built, in, uh, built on immigration from uh, the very first day that we've we founded white settlement here. Let's face it, we are all immigrants, full stop. Um, People are going to keep on coming here. That's that. Yeah. Well, and how does this apply for the for in terms of uh, you know what we've been talking about in terms of changing and the evolution of, of consciousness here? This this movement of people, um, you know, the, the, the reactionary stance that many governments are taking towards refugees uh, in the world and uh, the other in quotes. Um, how does this factor in, and what's what's the what's the change that's going to happen here as as we go forward? Do you predict? Do you see? What do you see happening? I, I think um, the population mobility at the moment mm. is obviously tied to life conditions. I mean, people don't leave their homes unless they have a good reason to do so. Yep. Um, we, we've seen a, a massive wave of uh, population migration as a result of the conflicts in the Middle East, uh, and um, I guess that's another example of old paradigm strategies uh, attempting to solve one problem but creating more problems than they actually solve, for example. Mm. Um, you know, the, the conflicts in the Middle East uh, have been uh, driven by probably in a number of different agendas, but certainly um, power in, within the region and control of uh, oil resources, I think, have been primary mm. ones. Mm. Uh, and also um, feeding the beast, uh, the the military industrial complex, which uh, has to have conflict to continue its uh, its business model, yeah. and so it's always good to have a, a nice little war going somewhere to keep that money rolling in, um, and even better if you can be selling your bombs to both sides of the conflict, which which is um, a fairly um, recent development over the last few decades. But uh, you know, bottom line is life conditions. I mean, if uh, if people's life conditions are such that they can't tolerate staying where they normally live, and most people most people want to stay living where they you know, yeah where, they, where they've grown yeah, up. Yeah, people. That's right. Um, so yeah. it, it's it's simply a matter of life conditions. Uh, in terms of um, immediate fixes, we should look to the the emerging paradigm themes that we've been talking about before, of um, connectivity. And uh, balance, and and um, you know, social rights, social justice, those mm. sorts of things, making sure people have what they need, the essentials that they need to live comfortably, uh, to to stem the migration. But of course, that that also means uh, bringing peace, which is another emerging theme uh, in the the sixth layer, the uh, mm. the paradigm that we're seeing showing up at the moment. Is uh, it's very much about peace and harmony and seeking peace and harmony, mm. and uh, and that will, in the short term, you know, resolve a lot of these issues. Uh, and um, I mean, one of the ways that they've used in the European Union to try and deal with the population influx is to spread the the uh, load around, you know, and have different countries taking, which is a it, it, that's a that's an emerging paradigm strategy yeah. is to spread it around, you know, yeah. create a network and then use the resources within the network to address the issue rather than just trying to do it from one one standpoint. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very good. Just a, a little bit more from this particular article, which comes from the newdaily.com.au, the um, the former immigration deputy secretary is also quoted as saying that the big increase <coughs> excuse me in protection visa applications over the past two years under Peter Dutton has mainly come from citizens of China Malaysia and India the department eventually finds most of the applications to be unmeritorious but the processing and appeals process has become so slow that the individuals can be exploited here for three years on low wages or as sex workers before a final determination is reached 
this surge requires a significant degree of organisation. Uh, the uh, the former um, uh, secretary said the smugglers must be aware of the paralysis in the Home Affairs Department due to a massive application backlog and must be savvily navigating this extremely complex application process. He wrote, and of course, meanwhile, as we already mentioned today, Home Affairs is reducing frontline staff like the border staff and IT contractors. And that, again, that's a perfect example of how our old thinking and old systems are actually creating more problems than they solve. Mm. So the, the paperwork backlog. Absolutely. And in the meantime, while the paperwork's not being done, all of these other problems are being created. Uh, and so, you know, it's more, more tension, more fuel for the, for the change process. Mm. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. The last few minutes of the show, we thought we'd just take a, a jump to a completely different uh, angle. Uh, of uh, what's going on in the future, and uh, we like to we like to talk a little bit about astrology and uh, deeper astrology. A lot of you out there are probably very akin to this, and many of them, many people probably not, and that's perfectly okay. But we're just going to talk a little bit about the new moon on Friday. What are you going to say then, Steve? I was going to say that. Yeah, no, no. What you said just prompted me to think yes. of uh, myself years ago when I didn't know much about astrology, and I just kind of read the columns in the newspaper, you know. Uh, and, and often they weren't right. Like yeah. I'd read my stars for the day and they didn't turn out the way that it said they would in the newspaper. One twelfth of the world's population is like this today. Exactly. I, you know, it's just rubbish. <laughs> um, and it was only when I really got access to, you know, understanding the, the deeper mm. deeper um, issues and, yeah. and the deeper processes around proper astrology that proper astrology. Uh, I started to pay attention to it. So, yes. uh, you know, I think your comment there is, is uh, quite valid and for anybody out there listening who, who does think astrology is rubbish then you're probably like I was years ago and just reading the, the newspaper mm. columns and mm. you know yeah I, I like to call it a transrational science because it's not a, it's not a science in a traditional word it's not a causative science because the moon is here or that's there doesn't cause things to happen to me it's like a reflection of things and a very useful one and it's quite profound if you can understand the sort of deeper geometry uh, and the transits and the movement of uh, the, the planets in relationship to your own chart and to the chart of uh, you know of each other in fact it's pretty interesting and uh, thanks for your comments to another another informative enlightening inspiring start to the week with future sense mind expanding thank you very much you get the special gold award today absolutely appreciate that um, but let's look at the because it was a new moon on Friday and of course we're still under the effect of that to some degree now new moon at 15 degrees Sagittarius and this particular new moon uh, is also strongly influenced by the alignment of Mars and Neptune at 13 degrees Pisces, which makes in astrology a square aspect. Now, a square aspect is a challenging aspect where those forces or energies sort of contesting each other to some degree. So that uh, testing square aspect between the new moon and Mars-Neptune brings out the worst of this alignment. And um, I think that's a rather interesting thing. And the author here says it has a rather sinister influence here. Uh, major themes being... Um, uh, anger, fear, deception, confusion, immorality, and perversion. And of course, we've seen all of those in politics over the last few days. <laughs> yes, yes, on the grand world stage, on the national stage, and even right here in Byron Bay, you could argue too, is that these sort of uh, themes are there. I mean, and have a good look for them in your own life. I guess that's the key too. It says here that um, at 16 degrees Sagittarius, a fixed star in uh, the Hercules constellation. Is it, and yeah. Yeah, where is the name of that fixed star? Nick, it's there somewhere. Yes, you, you mentioned it to me before. I did. It's uh, whoever sees it first wins. Yeah, buys right, the next coffee. Quickly, quickly, quickly. It's uh, we're looking at here. It is. It's called Ras Al Ghetti. Ah. Is the fixed star which is relevant in this? Film. Sounds a bit foreign to me, mate. I know. Well, I don't know that. I know. I'm so sure about that. Get rid mate. of that one. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to the back to the story. Yes. Uh, he says that this uh, fixed star will cause irritation from women and a ruthless drive to gain power. Hmm. So that uh, is, hmm. is a theme that's probably been playing out in various ways over the last few days for some people. Indeed. And uh, the keys to avoiding loss and disappointment from this particular configuration of the new moon are honesty and integrity. Hmm. There you go. And it does say the effect of uh, December the 7th new moon will, f will last four weeks up to the solar eclipse on the 5th of January. There's a solar eclipse coming up. The best time for making a fresh start and for beginning new projects is during the first two weeks of this new moon cycle. That's now. Uh, so it goes through to the full moon on the 22nd of this month. 
And yes, yeah, Mars conjunct Neptune is a very strong thing. For those who know a bit about astrology, and uh, there's certain better people than, than myself and Steve out there, but we have a, a fairly good sketchy knowledge of the deeper astrology. Mars conjunct Neptune in Pisces is a very difficult uh, conjunction, and it adds, according to this writer, a sinister underhand influence to the aggression, sexuality, and nastiness of Mars in hard aspect. Um, yes, and as uh, you were talking about, the, the star in the Hercules constellation joins that star, which acts like Mars on steroids. Mars being sort of the, essentially the god of war and uh, reflective of our physical uh, abilities, of our drive, of our ambition, uh, of our you know sportiness, of our literally of the way we use our bodies, um, and much more than that too. Here's some good advice here. It says the actions of uh, others are likely to make you angry, mean, and vengeful under this particular mm. constellation. Mm. And... Uh, the best option, the author says, would be to ignore any provocation. If you must react, then do so in a straightforward, direct and honest way. Don't leave anything to the imagination. <laughs> Good advice. Very interesting. And of course, Neptune in this equation too. Neptune um, is uh, representative, you could say, of, of the dreams, of aspirations, of delusion also, of illusion, of, uh, of deeper understandings, of sort of Piscean understandings of great sort of spiritual notions too so both of those things secrets and so forth um and so there's a deceptive influence to this as well uh, it has the potential this full moon to make you feel insecure guilty and apologetic interesting seeing only the best in people increases the chance of becoming disillusioned or worse that's interesting and to counter the deceptive influence of this new moon you must be above board in all your dealings this is not the best time for high stress competitive things like business dealings or negotiations Predators will easily hone in on your soft side and you could be at greater risk of being taken advantage of. Interesting. There is an upside, though. He says uh, yep. that this new moon will stimulate creativity and imagination, so it's a good moon mm. for art, music, sculpture, mm. dance and drama, for example. So if you're feeling you know, reactive to something in your life, if you're feeling like you want to get some justice somewhere... And transform it into interpretive transform dance. Transform it into interpretive dance. I think there's a wonderful interpretive dance workshop coming up on... This next Sunday, as a matter of fact, maybe not to promote anything directly, but something there. But yeah, just around your own house, put on some great music and, and let yourself go in that sort of physical way. Let, let work it all out, and uh, and perhaps just withdraw just slightly from that uh, that uh, desire or that uh, impulse to react and respond um, in kind to someone who may have been unkind to you, so to speak. Wonderful stuff. I think that's about it for the show. I think it is. Thanks for joining us here on Future Sense. It's Thanks been fun. It's been fun. It's been glorious. And stay tuned for Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond and everything beyond that here on Bay FM. And by the way, folks, uh, get your tickets to um, the dance party, uh, 80s versus 90s, next Saturday night, the 15th, at, um, at the brewery. Uh, tickets online, bayfm.org, or you can come in here to the station and get them. Uh, bus tickets if you're living on the outlying regions. It's going to be a fantastic party. And just to come and show your support for your local community radio that's been here for over a quarter of a century, reflecting, responding to the nature and the nurture, uh, the challenges, the politics, the culture, the life, the universe, everything of this region and beyond. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.